It is the 4th of July in Lily Springs. In the last chapter, Billy and Robert head to the town triangle for the 4th of July celebration set up by Ellie and Abelia makes a surprise appearance. If you haven't listened to that last chapter, please do so. I'm releasing this novel in progress one chapter at a time and don't want you to miss anything. And now on to chapter 20. It was the summer of 1917. As America prepares to shed her blood on a distant shore, two lonely people are brought together by fate, torn apart by war, consecrated by wine. Lilac wine. And now, Lilac Wine. Chapter 20 Billy was surprised to see Robert and Abelia together, her arm hooked onto his, oblivious to the looks they were getting as they made their way through the crowd. Ellie had announced that it was time for an unscheduled intermission, looking nervously at a watch she had pulled from her handbag. She was deviating from the schedule that she had written with chalk on a slate near the stage. It was actually time for the surprise guest, but so far, no surprises. Except for the appearance of Abelia, that is. Is she the surprise? whispered Rose after Ellie had made the announcement. Of course not, she shot back. He's just running late, that's all. For most people, though, the announced intermission was a welcomed break. It's not that they didn't enjoy the band. However, Yankee Doodle Dandy blended into hands across the sea without so much a change in melody or tempo. Not only did it seem that the same song was being played over and over again, it was quite clear Harold needed a break. He sat on the stage, visibly winded, his tarnished trombone helping to support his body, the other band members had left the stage to make their way with the rest of the crowd to the food table and to the spit line, hoping to get some food early, as the picnic to many was the best part of the day. Billy moved against the crowd and approached Robert and Abelia. I was looking for you, he said to Robert. He then glanced to Abelia and forced a smile. Miss Brody, he said in greeting. Hello, Billy. How are you? Fine, ma'am. Thank you. Billy turned to Robert. I wasn't sure where you went. Didn't go anywhere, Billy. Just thought I'd find us all a seat. You mean you, me, and Miss Brody, replied Robert. She's going to join us today. As Robert pointed to an empty segment of seating, Ellie approached from behind. Well, well, well. <laughs> what a pleasant surprise, she said through teeth that were almost as clenched as the fingers around the watch she held in her hand. Abelia, so nice to see you. Abelia turned. Hello, Ellie, how are you? Good, she said, shooting an awkward glance toward Robert. Wasn't expecting you to come. I can't even remember the last time you've been here, Abelia. It's been a while, Abelia responded. But it is such a nice day, and all this talk about a special guest, how could I miss it? Ellie feigned a smile. Too bad you missed the opening numbers and part of my reading of the Declaration, she said. 
Perhaps catching her tone, she laughed it off. But then again, it's the same declaration, isn't it? Hasn't changed over the years. Sorry, Ellie. I No worries, Abby. We're just glad that you are here. Hopefully you'll be able to... She stopped suddenly and cocked her head like a puppy. In the distance, growing noticeably louder, came the rumbling of an engine. Others in the crowd heard it, too. Ellie's eyes opened wider. Oh, no, she muttered under her breath. Everybody, she yelled, turning back towards the stage. Please return to your seats. There was a very audible moan from the crowd as Ellie began rustling people away from the food line, clapping loudly to get everyone's attention. Come on, she pleaded. Back to your seats. We need to begin again. A large truck turned into the town triangle, black smoke billowing from the exhaust. Forgetting the food for the moment, people began pointing and moving to the street to get a better view of the vehicle, unaccustomed to such machinery in town. The biggest thing that ever made its way through the town triangle was a tractor or two. This truck was three times as big as any tractor the people of Lily Springs had ever seen, and three times as loud. It was painted olive drab, its large wheels churning dirt and gravel into clouds of dust. Buy Liberty Bonds was painted in large white letters on the canvas canopy covering the truck bed. It looked like a covered wagon from another era, only now without the horses. American flags framed the open cab as the driver, who wore the same color uniform as the truck, brought it to a stop near the crowd. He pulled the lever and the engine sputtered with a pop, and then was silent. Enlist, painted in large letters, adorned the front grate. Is it Wilson? asked Mabel loudly from her wheelchair under a tree. I told you he'd come. Ellie ushered the band back to their places. Hurry, hurry, she said. Harold had never left his seat, but merely rolled his eyes as he lifted the trombone to his shoulder. Wow, exclaimed Billy. He was now standing on the bench to get a better view. That's an FWD truck. Probably a 1916 model. I ain't ever seen one before. They're made over in Clintonville, Wisconsin. The Army must be buying thousands of those. A tall young man emerged from the truck. He wore a crisp American Expeditionary Force uniform, a little dusty from the road travel. He slapped at his shoulders to dislodge the dirt, creating a cloud that was quickly carried away by the light breeze. He removed the goggles, his dirty skin accenting the white rings around his eyes. He smiled widely at the crowd, looking much like a child from a Lux soap ad. It took a moment for some to recognize him. "'It's Bradley Abel!' someone exclaimed. The crowd let out a collective gasp as no one had seen or heard from the young man for numerous years. His parents, of course, knew his whereabouts, but not many people in Lily Springs were interested in the truth. Rumor always made for better gossip. "'Hi, everybody!' he said with a wave of his hands. He tossed off his hat and threw it on the front seat. So glad to see such a crowd here today. Hope I didn't interrupt the meal. The crowd applauded as Sadie and Martin Abel moved to greet their son, apparently surprised as well by the visit. Sadie was crying while Martin bit his lips, holding back the tears. Bradley hugged his mother and then made his way to the stage, people slapping him heartedly on the back as he moved through the crowd like a hero returning from war. They told him how good he looked in the uniform and how proud they were that he had returned to Lily Springs. You have not forgotten us, said Herbert. 
clutching the young man's hand in a powerful shake that seemed to go on much longer than necessary. The images from last night's dream still fresh in his mind. This was almost more than Robert could bear. He sighed loudly as Bradley took the stage. Ellie raised her hands like a conductor and the band began playing the new wildly popular song, Over There. Bradley gushed and took up the chorus of the song, trying desperately to keep to the unusual tempo the band was playing. He prodded the crowd to join him and some did, enthusiastically. Over there, over there, send the word, send the word, over there. That the Yanks are coming, the Yanks are coming, the drums rum tumming everywhere. So prepare, say a prayer, send the word, send the word to beware. We'll be over, we're coming over, and we won't come back till it's over, over there. The crowd erupted into enthusiastic applause and whistles. He can even sing, proclaimed one of the ladies from the community church, sitting now behind Robert. Bradley put up his hands, waving off the band and the crowd. Please, he said as the band slowly stopped playing, except that is for Harold. With eyes closed and hell bent on keeping up, he continued blowing into that trombone of his until another band member tapped him gently on the shoulder. Wow, this is way more than I got, even in Dubuque, Bradley said. And I bet more than I will get in Gutenberg later tonight. That brought another burst of applause from the audience. He moved across the stage, waving and smiling at familiar faces. He used to deliver the newspapers in town, Abelia said softly to Robert. Robert merely nodded, already familiar with the tale. Bradley continued speaking to the crowd. I couldn't pass up this opportunity. He turned to Ellie, who had now returned to her seat on the stage next to Gerald. Thank you, Mrs. Peterson. It's great to be back here among my fellow Lily Springsonians. On that, the crowd erupted into applause again, apparently comfortable with that term coming from somebody other than Ellie. It's great to see so many familiar faces. He looked down to Myrtle and smiled. Mrs. Stokes, so good to see you. Hope the kids have been treating you good. He looked next to Owen. Mr. Wilson, I heard about what happened all the way in Des Moines, and I heard that Owen Wilson took a tumble. Hopefully you'll be back on your feet soon and back to delivering the mail. He then acknowledged Art and Tom. He smiled and waved at the ladies from the community church. I hope you have forgiven me, ladies, for sleeping so often in church. He turned quickly to Reverend Finkel, who was still sitting in the front row. Sorry, Reverend. Not that your sermons were boring or anything, it's just that I usually stayed up way too late on Saturday night. His eyes then found Billy. Billy Miles, he asked. Is that you? My, have you grown. Uncle Sam could sure use young men like you. He was still grinning widely when he looked to Robert. And the grin faded slightly, his eyes squinting in puzzlement. You... I don't think I ever met, and I never forget a face. Visiting Lily Springs? Robert merely shrugged, not wanting to draw any more attention to himself. Art leaned forward from the side of the stage and said in a loud whisper, That's Robert, my kin from Chicago. 
He's staying for a few weeks and helping out at the post until Owen gets back on his feet. Welcome, Robert, Billy continued. And you look like you're of enlistment age. You ever consider giving Uncle Sam a hand? After all, Owen's sure to be on his feet soon and we could use young men like you. Robert shifted uncomfortably in his seat. He saw Art glaring in his direction as if to say, go on, tell him what you really think. He felt hundreds of eyes on him. The ladies from the church craned their necks waiting for him to answer in anything other than an enthusiastic, I will enlist, would most likely trigger a series of disapproving shakes of the head. The pain he felt earlier that morning returned to his temples, the throbbing a reminder of those images that woke him from his sleep. The ringing returned to his ears. He swallowed and looked to the ground. Bradley returned to the crowd. We can't be indecisive, folks. We have difficult times ahead, and I didn't come here on a social visit. Perhaps there will be more time for that in the future. Robert took a deep breath and looked to Abelia. She glanced at him and smiled. I'm not planning on enlisting, he whispered, more for himself than anyone else. It's okay, Robert, she said softly. She then leaned in and whispered closely to his ear. I hope you don't. Over the past several years, Bradley continued, I have been working with Senator Schrupp on providing relief to the poor people in Belgium who were nearly destroyed when the Hun invaded three years ago. When the call was made by Wilson, I accepted. After training at Fort Funston, I'll be returning soon to receive my orders. In the meantime, I am imploring all people in Dubuque County and across this state to give what they can. The Hun cannot be defeated without your help. More applause. Robert looked down to the ground and stomped the matted grass with his foot as the crowd again whistled and buzzed with excitement. He had not even been in the presence of Brad Abel for more than a few minutes, and already he felt distaste for what the young man was saying. Not that he hadn't heard it all before. The situation in Conrad certainly came to mind. There was always vitriolic talk on Chicago street corners that rivaled what this young soldier was saying. This crowd, however, was unabashed. Patriotism was one thing, but blindness was another. Robert knew that many people in town had German ancestry. It was written on the names that adorned the envelopes he delivered. It was etched into their faces. Yet they hung on to his words as if they were gospel, and Jesus himself had come down in khaki to deliver the message. The Huns are a vicious foe. They take joy in killing the weak and innocent. They would kill their own mothers if they felt it necessary. The stories I could tell would no doubt sicken you. But that is not why I am here today. I am here to assure you that we could end this scourge upon the world. That is why I accepted Wilson's call. And I hope you do too. A knot gripped Robert's gut, and with every word spoken and every burst of applause, that knot got a little tighter. Sweat beaded on his forehead. His mouth was dry, the taste of cherry merely a memory. The pounding in his temples grew more intense, the pain piercing behind his eyes. He closed them tight, massaging his temples with the tips of his fingers, trying to push the pain back 
from where it came. He wasn't sure, but he thought he could actually begin to smell smoke. And it wasn't the pork roasting over the open spit. The poor, suffering people of Europe need our help to push back the Hun, back across the Rhine, never to threaten them or us again. Robert saw the German soldier again, gasping for air, red, frothy life oozing from his blue lips. The guns rang in his ears and the smell of the acrid smoke of mortars and flamethrowers burned his nostrils. The cries and explosions echoed loudly. Robert fought against the onslaught. It was as if the images were alive, pounding on his consciousness and demanding acknowledgement. These were no longer just fragments from a dream. They were a reality that felt more like an experience than a nocturnal rambling. Robert, are you all right? Came Abelia's voice. He muttered something in return as Brad implored the crowd to buy Liberty Bonds. He was pointing to the bank across the triangle and said something about Walt Lang, the banker. The crowd laughed as a red stain spread across the German soldier's gray coat, those eyes searching for compassion and mercy. Helfer, he mouthed, the word barely more than a harsh whisper. Liberty Bonds are your way of helping the cause. From Verdun to the Somme, the Hun will not be able to turn back the tide of the red, white, and blue. Thick smoke wafted through the ruins of the city. More mortars whistled through the air. The explosions on the rooftops brought bits of gravel and brick, raining down upon the troops below like a smoking hail from hell. Here they come, sir, someone yelled as the pelting of the machine guns erupted from the distance, the sound echoing among the half-standing walls and piles of brick. Robert, what's wrong? Abelia placed a hand on Robert's shoulder. He opened his eyes and looked to Abelia. Suddenly, the heavens lit up in a flash of red, the glitter of fireworks reflecting in her concerned eyes. People screamed in excitement, looking to the sky as vibrant color rained down from above. Rockets screeched into the air from the other end of the triangle, one after the other. Some erupted simultaneously, leaving behind smoking trails that were soon dissipated by the light wind. The pops could have been guns. The whistling could have been artillery from the enemy line. The crowd applauded the spectacle, thinking it was part of the planned program, even though fireworks was clearly listed as the last item on Ellie's slate schedule. What the hell? Gerald exclaimed as he stood from his chair, knocking it over on the stage. Ellie was horrified. No, she screamed. It isn't time. Smoke drifted across the crowd as two boys ran from the triangle, their laughter lilting above the clamor of fireworks and explosions. Tom ran after them, but quickly succumbed to the realization that youth trumped everything. I see you, he yelled, stopping on the threshold of the triangle. Tommy and Bobby Fisher, you are in big trouble. The fireworks ended as quickly as they began. The smoke carried away by the light breeze until nothing remained but the faint smell of gunpowder.
So the 4th of July has come to Lily Springs, the 4th of July, 1917, as America begins its push towards war. In April of 1917, Congress authorized um, Liberty Bonds. It was a Liberty Loan Drive, and it was issued in April, a couple of weeks after the declaration of war. During the course of the war, they will issue... Uh, at least three Liberty Loan drives. And the second one would begin in October of 1917. And so during the summer of 1917, there was a big push to get people to buy these bonds. They had Charlie Chaplin and Mary Pickford going out. They had sports stars and so forth going out to crowds and appealing to their patriotism and asking them to buy these Liberty loans. That is how we were going to fund the war for the most part. Now, in Lily Springs, Bradley Abel comes to town, a former resident who used to deliver the newspapers to hawk these Liberty bonds. Now, interestingly, that name has got a backstory. When I was uh, teaching at my old school, there was a guy, and he's still there, actually, a teacher, named Bradley Abel. And uh, we were talking about the novel. And he said, Bruce, um, put me in the novel. And so I just kind of laughed it off. And then I wrote that chapter, and I put him in it. And uh, I told him, I'm like, uh, Brad, you're, you're in the novel. You're uh you're a hawker of Liberty loans. And so Bradley Abel is somebody who I know, and uh, he's nothing like the character here, but uh, nonetheless, his name appears. This chapter brings up an interesting conundrum. When I was writing the chapter, and I'm a history teacher. And so I always play for the kids when I do World War One. I. I always do Over There, which was a wildly popular song. And it was recorded numerous times. I play a version of the song from 1917 and uh, I sing and I dance and so forth. I assumed that the song was there in 1917, in July of 1917. I had read that the song was written in April by George M. Cohen. And I just assumed the sheet music went out and people were singing it. But that, unfortunately, is not true. Yeah, I was horribly mistaken. Uh, the song was recorded, but it was not released until July. And the song wasn't even copyright written until uh, December. And the first time it was really performed publicly wasn't until October of 1917. So there's really no way, historically speaking, that Bradley Abel would have sung that song to a Lily Springs crowd. Question is, what do I do? I mean, it's a song that a modern audience would know about. It's not historically inaccurate. I mean, it was a popular song at the time, but it's historically inaccurate for July 4th, 1917. Now, there are a lot of other songs 
that were out at the time, none of which are known today. But in going through articles in newspapers, especially from the Telegraph Herald, every week Victrola put out an ad of their new releases. And in the July 18, 1917 edition of the Telegraph Herald, which is out of Dubuque, they have an ad about music that stirs your patriotism. And in this ad, they have some patriotic songs. Hail Columbia and the Star Spangled Banner, two songs that people perhaps would know. But there are other ones that are really timely. One is called America, Here's My Boy, which was released on Victor Records in May of 1917. And then there's another song called Let's All Be Americans Now. So these are songs that people may have known back in July of 1917. But... They're not well known to audiences today. So this is the biggest question that comes up when writing an historical novel. How historical do you have to be? What's more important, the history or the story? So right now, I obviously, I kept over there in, but I'm not sure I'm going to. You know, I've been kind of touting this novel as being as historically accurate as I can. And yet this is something that for July 4th, 1917, isn't possible. So, you know, let me know what you think. You know, go over to lilacwinenovel.com. You could click on the questions and comments section, and you could let me know what you think about this conundrum. You could just go to email too and just, you know, type off an email to comments at lilacwinenovel.com. Next week, we are still in the town triangle. Uh, Billy's going to take a ride in that truck, and uh, Billy is going to be walked home by Robert, and their relationship obviously is growing. So join me next week for that. If you've been liking Lilac Wine, please tell your friends. Like to get some more listeners, like to get some more comments. Thank you so much for listening. I couldn't do this without you. I am Bruce Janu, and I will see you next week. This podcast is produced by Bell Book and Camera Productions. Visit bellbookcamera.com for more information. Lilac Wine is written and produced by me, Bruce David Janu. All content is copyrighted and cannot be used without expressed written permission. If you are liking Lilac Wine, the podcast, please take a moment to give us a rating on iTunes for as long as iTunes is still there anyway, or perhaps you could do that in Apple podcast now as well. 
This will help give us more listeners. Connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter as well. The intro voiceover was provided by my colleague and friend, Rachel Vissing. All music and sound effects are licensed through audioblocks.com. Please visit lilacwarnovel.com to join the discussion. Ask me questions, make comments. The purpose of Lilac Wine, the podcast, is to discuss the creative process. Your comments and suggestions are greatly appreciated. Thank you for listening.